Hey, one more thing before you go. What do you do when your husband is diagnosed with terminal brain cancer? What happens when your vibration has been intentionally suppressed? How do you overcome the anger and the depression? Stay tuned. In this episode, you're going to find answers to those questions and more when we talk to a woman who was grateful for all the journey of grief that she and her late husband went on and how to empower yourself to live in a high vibration. I'm your host, Michael Hurston. This is One More Thing Before You Go, that thing about living in enchanted. My guest today is Tessa Stowe, a woman whose husband was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, and they decided to grab life by the horns and go after it with a vengeance and live life to the fullest before he died 12 months later. Tessa Stowe was angry when she realized her vibration had been intentionally suppressed, passionate about empowering others to live in high vibration, and grateful for the journey of grief she went on after her husband died. She now works towards inspiring and empowering people to live in high vibration to their best so they are free to live a happy, healthy, enchanted life. She moved her life forward in a very positive way, and you are going to learn how you too can do that. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is That Thing About Living an Enchanted Life. Welcome to the show, Tessa. Oh, thank you. Lovely to connect with you across the oceans, Michael. <laughs> yeah, we're, we, you are in the lovely area of Bali, and I'm yes. in the hot climate of Arizona. That's right. And I'm actually in the future. So I am, this is being recorded on your Thursday and it's actually my Friday. So you're talking to the future. Well, you see the technology, isn't it wonderful? I know. Time travel. Time travel. <laughs> exactly. We've just discovered that we do have time travel. <laughs> That's right. That's it. <laughs> so if you, huh, I might be able to use that to my advantage. So if you see the baseball game before I do. <laughs> Okay, I'll let you know. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Might give us an idea. I mean, you've got an incredible journey with you and your husband and where you're at now. I know that you've had some ups and downs and it, it was a journey. But if you don't mind, let's start at the beginning. Can you tell me where'd you grow up? I grew up in New Zealand. In I was born specifically in Lake Taupo in New Zealand, which is a beautiful area. And then we moved to Wellington and I grew up there and then I always joke about this but at the age of 21 my father threw me out of the country and when I say he threw me out of the country it was in a very nice way because I said he said oh what are you going to do with your life and I said oh I've got this great job which I had a fabulous job I said I've got this great job and I'll do that and that and he said Tessa you need to go out and explore the world so like a bird a bird flicking its little chick out of the nest my father just I say just threw me out of the country so I left New Zealand to go I said I'll be back in two years to live but I never came I never went back so and I've had lots of adventures one of one of the adventures on my journey, I, I lived in all over the place, but ended up living in South Africa where I met my husband, Mike. Well, that, I, I mean, obviously going from New Zealand to Australia and then to South Africa, 
Oh, no, I went from New Zealand. I went to the UK. I lived in the UK, the UK for three years. Oh, no, no, I, I lived in Wellington's in New Zealand. So then I left New Zealand, New Zealand okay. went to live in London. I lived there for three years. And then I left London, England, and I went to live in the Bahrain in the Middle East. So I lived in the Middle East for oh. just over three years. And then from the Middle East, I then, well, funny story how I got there, but from the Middle East, I then went to live and work in Johannesburg in South Africa. And I was there for four years, but I met my husband within a year and we got married. And then, but after South Africa, we then went to live in Sydney, Australia. So, wow, diverse set of cultures. Yeah, very diverse, which is absolutely fabulous. That's one of the joys of life. And some of the, I'm grateful for so many things, but live, living in all these different cultures, I've learned so much about people and living and life and now that I live in Bali which is a completely different culture again uh, but I just absolutely love it I'm just constantly learning about how to live life ways to live life how we do things there's, there's no one way of doing things or thinking about things or I've just I've learned to be very flexible and just to embrace what comes at me really I've and I've been forced to actually because of what happened with my husband in the end really we were talking earlier about life comes along and you just have these little they're not really nudges they're more like thumps you know? <laughs> because you're going along with your life and it's everything seems all hunky-dory and then all of a sudden thump or whack and you go oh and you, you really wish you didn't have this thump like I really wish my husband hadn't died but when he did die, there was nothing I could do about it. And you just have to, it's just amazing how you adapt. I must admit, I never, ever in a million years, after my husband died, I was convinced I would never, ever be happy again. I was such a, I was such a mess for quite a few years, actually. And I could never have imagined the life that I'm now living. And I'm, I can actually say to you, I'm really happy. <laughs> I love my life. That was unimaginable back then. Un totally unimaginable. No, it's just, if you told me that, I just said, no, there's no way. In fact, I, I was actually said to people, I'm never going to be happy again because I actually thought it would be disloyal to my husband as well. I thought It's an interesting journey, and I think a lot of people may resonate with what you had gone through. Let's kind of let's talk about that. So you met your husband yes. in South Africa. You guys um, yes. developed a life together. What did he do for a living? Oh, he was in computers. That, in fact, I met him. I met him by. I say to people, I met my husband through the Yellow Pages. So, oh. <laughs> because what I did, I was trying to find a new job, and I thought well, I was in computers myself. So I thought, how am I going to find a new job? So I got out the Yellow Pages, looked under C for computers, and started ringing. Started at A, ringing up and asking to speak to the general manager or the CEO. And it took me to the S's. S until I got through, until somebody put me through to a CEO. And he, he invited me in, offered me the job, and one thing led to another. And that's how I met my husband, Mike. So when we were both, I was in computer sales. He was my manager. You know, it's a bit of fraternizing there with the manager. <laughs> hey, <laughs> so, no, it's, but you know, the, we'll say the universe puts you there. If you, would, if you would have stopped at B or C or stopped at that's H, it. you never would have met him. Yes. Right? That's right. I got all the way to S. Most people would give up. Exactly. It was <laughs> meant to be. It was meant to yes. be. So do you guys have any children? No. No, we didn't have any children. But my husband Mark, had has had has two children from a previous marriage. I was actually his third wife. So he had wife number one, 
we had two children, wife number two, and then I was uh, wife number three. And we were married for, even though I was wife number three, we were married for 27 years. So 27 years. third time wow. lucky. Third time yeah, lucky. Third time. Third time. Third time. <laughs> um, yeah. Th- congratulations on that for the 27 mm. years. It's day and age. Unfortunately, this day and age, and in my previous position in law enforcement, I was part of the domestic violence task force. So I saw a lot of dysfunctional family. Mm. So 27 years is a really good mark. It wasn't all peaches and cream and roses and things like that. We had our bad times, but we, although we had these bad times, we just, at the fundamentally, we loved each other. So that was it. So we worked through it. So yeah, we just worked through it. Just got through it. You have yeah. a good, strong marriage when you know that you can work through your ups and downs and sickness and in health. Yes, and, you know, yes um, literally, I, sickness and in health, yes. <laughs> absolutely. I, my wife is my second wife, and I was married before her. And if I would not have divorced my first wife, I never would have met my second wife. We've been yes. together for 32 years this year. Oh, well, wow. We've been together for 32 Fabulous. years. Yeah, this September, we'll be married for 32 years, so we've known each other a little bit longer than that. And I wouldn't have had the two wonderful daughters that I've got if I would not have divorced my first wife. So sometimes it's just not meant to be that way. That's right. Sometimes it's not. It's just, I think it's really, and it also depends on your age and maturity. And like I was, Michael was my first husband, but he was, I was, in, I was engaged three times. <laughs> I never quite got there, you know what I mean? So we're shopping, so we're shopping the, around. <laughs> that's right. The first person I went out with or was serious with from age 18 to 25, and we were madly enough. Total dis- disaster, if I think about it, if we'd actually gone through with it, because who we were back then and, you know, who I was when I finally got married at age 30, totally different people, just different values, different outlooks, different goals, everything. Yeah, we just, we evolve and we transition just trying to work out who we are. So although I was engaged three times, I eventually married the right person. That, that's It's a positive thing. It, <laughs> yes. it's, it's a positive thing. I know that he had terminal cancer. Can yep. you Tim, talk brain about that Brain cancer. Oh, yeah, no, I'm fine now. I can talk about it now, whereas I couldn't have had this conversation a few years ago. I just couldn't. But now I can talk about it because I think of my husband now and I I just feel the love. I don't feel the sadness. I just feel the love and the joy. So absolutely, we can talk about it. Cancer is a bad word in what it does. We're both familiar with cancer. I, I can share with you, I lost my father when he, he was only 39 years old. I was only 17 to cancer. Wow. My stepfather to cancer. Wow. lost two grandparents, three cousins, two uncles. So cancer is a bad word in our family. With your husband, Mike, mm. it's, a, it's a great name, by the way, Michael, Mike. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I would never forget <laughs> your name, Mike. You picked a good one. So he, had a, he had a good name. The, did, did he have any symptoms? What did you guys notice? Something that did, Headaches or something that led up to it? Because I know he had, by the time he was diagnosed, it was terminal. So were there any symptoms beforehand? I suspect there were symptoms, but knowing my Mike, he was really good at heart. He would have hid them. So, no, what actually happened was it was a beautiful, I remember it was a beautiful sunny day, and we always had this ritual. We were living in Brisbane at the time, or Redcliffe, and we had this ritual at about 10 o'clock 
we would have a um, cup of coffee on the balcony because I he had his office at one side of our apartment and I had mine on the other. But at 10 o'clock, we'd have coffee, so we'd meet on the veranda and have a chat. So that was like a ritual that we had. What happened is we were having this coffee and the phone, my phone rang and it was a couple who was the wife of a friend who'd had just had open heart surgery and she was ringing to say thank you we'd sent them a card and we'd just been contacting them and so she said she was just ringing to say thank you and Mike asked how he was doing and he said oh she said he's got this real pain when he coughs or laughs or anything like that so what happened was Mike had about the year before that had open heart surgery and he had this hug pillow so he said to me oh Tessa we should really give go around and give them the hug pillow because it would really help his pain. So I said, okay. So I said, I've just got to finish something that I was halfway through and then we'll go. So what happened was I finished this, what I was doing and Mike went around to find Mike and he was lying down in the bedroom and I walked into the bedroom and I said, oh, Mike, thinking we can go now. But he had no idea what I was talking about. And he started talking to me like he was like trying to say something, but he couldn't say it. And I realized something was horribly wrong and basically I rang the rang the emergency that got the ambulance arrived, took him to hospital, and he had basically there and there in the hospital had a massive seizure. So, Michael, are you still there, by the way? I can't see you. <laughs> are you Oh, you're I'm still there. Good. Yeah, so he had a he, yeah, so he had a massive, massive seizure. And they told me, I'll never forget it because they said to me, they came and said, look, you've got to prepare for his death. And uh, he had the seizure right in front of me, by the way. And I just went hysterical. They took me off to another room, came and said, look, you've got to prepare for his death. So I said, what do you mean prepare for his death? What does that mean? Am I supposed to arrange the funeral? I just, I was just, I'm just having a coffee with my husband. And now are you telling me to prepare for his death? Like I, I was just beside myself. So anyway, that. They they ended up they put him on life support and I and everything else and they said because we had this agreement that if he wasn't had do not resuscitate did not want to be a vegetable so I kept saying he doesn't want to be a vegetable do not resuscitate and they said we still don't no we're pretty sure he's dead we just got to check so always good always good to check yes that's right so they put him on life support everything else and. Got him into the intensive. At about 1 o'clock, I went home, had a quick shower, came back. And at about 7 o'clock in the morning, they said, look, we're going to take him off life support. Because I was in there with him on life support. And it's just horrible, just all these tubes. And it's, it was horrendous. And so they, while they were taking him off life support, they said, look, it's best if you just go and wait in the waiting room. So the whole expectation was they'd take him off life support and there was no life. So... After a while, they bring me out of the waiting room and I walk into the into the intensive care and there is Mike sitting up in bed and <laughs> he's laughing and he goes, hello, darling, I'm back. Take that. <laughs> I'm back, he says. <laughs> I'm back. Because <laughs> he had gone to the other side, but he came back. Wow. And we had a look, chat about that. It was amazing. And so then you, they did some know? more tests and everything else. Hmm? You know that now that you said that, we have to talk about it. Yes, yes. Oh, of course. Fabulous. <laughs> so he, so he, so they did some tests and eventually they came back and said he's got brain cancer. And that was oh. just like, holy moly. That was just, what? Oh, it was just, and I'll never forget, Liz, 
I'll tell you about the day we got out of the hospital first too. But I'll tell you what happened was I asked him when he said, hello, darling, you're back. And I said, where, you know, where have you been? He says, oh, I'll tell you what happened. And it was interesting because he only he could only remember that for a short period of time. And then a few days later, he had no recollection because that was also another thing that went was a short-term memory. But he said that what happened was he said he was going to the, he said like towards the light he was going and then he heard this voice saying, He's in a really bad way. We don't know if we can do much. We don't know if we can save him, but we'll do our best. And Mike heard this and he said, what do you mean? What do you mean? You I'm going, it's not looking good. What do you mean? What do you mean? And he said, I'm not going anywhere. And that's when he came back out of it. And, you know, the bizarre thing is the words that Mike said to me that he heard the doctor say were the exact same words that the doctor said to me in a room far away from Mike. So you weren't even in the room when he said them to you? Not no, when close. he said that I, the, Mike, the doctor was in the room with me, the different room to Mike, when he said those words that Mike then repeated to me, those are the words that he heard and those are the words that brought him back. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, mm. That's really amazing. Yeah. So, so basically when he came back, it was, it, how long did, you, did he go through any treatments? Did you guys pick treatments? Yes, yes. The first thing was... The most, one of the most amazing days of my life was the day that he, he was in hospital for a few days, then he got out, and he honestly had expected that he was dead and wasn't ever going to see life again. So <clears throat> the first <clears throat> morning after we were back, we went for a walk, and we lived on the oceanfront. So we walked across the road, and there, there were people cleaning the park there and all that stuff. Michael was in awe. He was just in awe of looking at the sky. He kept saying, Tessa, look at that oh. sky. Look at those leaves. Look at those birds. <laughs> he was expressing gratitude to the people, cleaning, sweeping. And he was in awe of life. It was just, he was just on a high because he never thought that he would experience that again. That I'll never forget that because it really taught me how amazing the ordinary was because his excitement at being able to just walk across the road, look at the sky, look at the trees, look at the grass, look at the flowers, hear the birds. He was absolutely ecstatic. And that was how the next year went because literally 12 months to the day of when he had that seizure was when we had his celebration service. But we had 12 months. We didn't know how long. In fact, I didn't believe he was going to die. <laughs> so... So we had 12 months where we just basically played. Mike just decided to play life full out. And, yes, he had treatment. He had chemotherapy. He had radiation. He had chemo, had all that stuff. And I was at the same time giving him green smoothie juices because I was researching how to build up your immune system and all that. Right. So he was having – I was giving him – sometimes they were horrible green smoothie juices, but – I was giving him all the good nutrients and everything else. And so he had very little horrible side effects from the radiation because I think I was just really pumping him up with my Counter magical green, counteracting it. So after the, as soon as the, we were done with the chemo, uh, with the radiation, chemo, I said to Mike, okay, just suppose you're going to die. <laughs> just suppose you are. What are, what are some, what do, you, what, what do you want to do? What are some of the things you really want to do? So he said, I want to do this and this and this. I said, okay, off we go. So we went on to, and I think about it now, crazy, but we went on two 
six weeks overseas trips. We went to some mm. remote, crazy places, did some crazy things, which I think about now. Oh, if I actually had my right mind, I wouldn't have done it. But we had such a fabulous time. So we went six weeks to Europe. We went down there. He wanted to go from Amsterdam to Budapest on a riverboat. We did that. We then took this train, don't ever do that, from Budapest across to Croatia, don't do that, right? Fly. So we did that. I, I, I like the little caveats, don't do that. It's <laughs> <laughs> yes, fly. We ended up we just in some interesting situations. And then we, we went to Croatia, we drove around Croatia, we went on a boat around you know, around the coast of Croatia. And then and then we came back and then we came back for a bit. He had to do some more treatment. And then we went to Africa. So he wanted to go to South Africa to see the animals, to, to go on safari and to see his children. And when we went to Africa, it was just, we had the most amazing time. Obviously, we've been to Africa and game places before, but it was like, I keep going, there's something odd going on here. And we would go out on game drives and the game driver would say, there's something odd going on. It was just a, a constant, there's something odd going on here because it was like, now I look back on it, the animals, particularly the elephants, knew that Mike was going. So I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I, I, empath I, I understand that. Yes, I think that ele yes, especially they, elephants, they have a sixth sense. They came out to say goodbye. In fact, one day we just had, so we were elephanted out, if you can be elephanted out. We were driving around the Kruger Park and it was an elephant. And then Mike said to me, I was driving because he couldn't drive. And he said to me, okay, what would you like to see next? And I said, joking, joke, I'd like to see a charging elephant. Guess what? We go oh, around the corner. We go around the corner. We get charged by an elephant. Oh. <laughs> it's like, it's I just... didn't quite mean it that way, but. <laughs> no, no. So that's why it was like the elephants, the animals knew, the elephants knew particularly. It was just, it was bizarre. And was one of them was my birthday. We were in um, just south of Vic Falls in Zimbabwe, and the game driver said, rat, said to me, what would you like to see? Because it was my birthday. So I said, I'd like to see this, and I was rattling it off. And he went, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, yeah, I've been here for six years. Yeah. So we go out. Guess what? We see. Da -da. That's a gift. That's amazing. That's a gift. That, yeah. that really He connected with the universe. And in connecting with the universe, it allowed him to be able to experience the things he wanted to experience in a Absolutely. very unique way. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he he was totally connected, and I and just even when he was dying, went through the dying process. It was when we came back from Africa. Within a week, he'd you know had another seizure, and then he started six weeks until he died. And he had one foot on one side and one foot on the other. Because some of the things that happened and some of the things that he said was just like, what? Where did you get that from? You know what I mean? Right. Now, I know so, you said it was like a, the saddest and the funnest year. I, yes. I know funnest is not technically a word, but it, we're going to use I know. funnest. I make words up. I make words up. It was the funnest. I, we had so much fun. We just – because – we just squeezed every opportunity out of life and just embraced it in everything, including just sitting, having a cup of coffee on the on our balcony. And, or we just had so much fun because we realized that it was limited. The irony of it, Michael, is 
life is limited, but we don't, and we can know it, but we don't know it. We, we don't live it. Right. But because Mike was dying, we just knew it. And it just, once you it, you just change the way that you live your life because there's right. no guarantee of tomorrow. It gives you a new perspective on life and death. Totally. So every day, so I've got, I have got so much, I think the big, from what I've been through, I've been given all sorts of gifts, but one of them is I've just got this huge sense of gratitude. Just, and I've got such gratitude, such gratitude for just where I live now in Bali. That's another story. I've got such gratitude for all the plants and the animals. There's lots of insects. I have lots of ants running around. I'm just so grateful for everything. And if you looked at me, Back in my corporate days, I wasn't this person. I was, I suffered from what I call busy sickness. I was so busy. And Mike would say, oh, Tessa, you need to stop and smell the roses. And I'd go, yeah, yeah, I'm just a bit busy right now. I'll come back to it. It's a cliche, but it really, it's a cliche. But people, I think in the last, especially this last year, year and a half with COVID, I think people have, the, the new normal has changed. Everybody keeps saying we got to get back to the normal, back to the normal, back to the normal. But what if no. that that pause that came about last year allowed people to understand that I don't need to spend an hour and a half in traffic every day fighting traffic to go to work, and then eight hours in an office in a stuffy office with all this noise and and everything else that goes along with it, and then another hour and a half home. It's exhausting. And it allowed people, I think, an opportunity in spite of the tragedy of loss and everything that went along with it. It gave an opportunity for a reset and for people to understand oh. that you really need to take a and smell the roses, stop and smell the roses. A absolutely. Because the thing about the irony about roses is when you say, oh, I'm going to come back to smelling the roses, it's like I'm going to, I haven't got time, say, for my children, I'm busy. The thing is, like, well, the rose is only around for so long. So you might just be busy and say, okay, now I'm ready to smell the roses. But the rose isn't there. It's like with my husband. I even, I've got lots of regrets and if onies and all that stuff because that all goes, comes part of the grief process. But I was busy. Sometimes I was too busy for him. Do you know what I mean? But right. and now the now I've got time, but my husband isn't here. So you know, we just think, oh, I'll we'll be busy, and then I'll get around to it. Maybe it's not there for you to get around to. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so I think this last year and a half has been amazing. It's it's been terrible, but it's also been amazing. It's, you know, me saying that last twelve months with my husband was the funnest, you know, saddest time. So which it was both. So right now with what mm. we're going through still, it's terrible, for, you know, what it's doing to a lot of people. So it's terrible. But in that terribleness, there's also amazing seeds. I've learned so much about myself and so much about my purpose and in life through what's happened over the last 18 months. Like I thought, for example, that after my mic died and I went through a bit of a big downer really, eventually crawled back up. I was tricked by my grief counsellor. That's what got me out of it, really. But I started getting me out of it. But I, I then focused on happiness. And I really, I discovered that happiness is a superpower that you can acquire. So I just thought, wow, this is amazing. And I really got focused on inspiring and empowering people to acquire happiness as a superpower. And I thought that was it. Once you've got happiness as a superpower, you're all set. But, but what's happened in the last uh, 18 months, I've real, I found out the missing piece because I, I did some course to do some research, look at things, and I realized that we can have happiness as a superpower, 
But what also, which affects our vibration, but what also affects our vibration is what we consume through our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our nose, our skin. And if we're consuming low vibrations through those, you can have happiness as a superpower, which is all fabulous, but you're going to be dragging yourself down. So I discovered that, or shall I say it came to me in the last 18 months by doing some research as a consequence of what's going on. So that was the missing piece for me, which is how I ended up with, you know, living in high vibration. So you are free to live a happy, healthy, enchanted life. So I'm grateful for everything that's happened. I'm, and I'm grateful for all the horrible stuff as well. well it's, stuff but teaches it's, us to appreciate the good stuff. Precisely. And I, I wouldn't be who I am and I wouldn't be living here and it's just we're on different chapters in our life and you have to sometimes let go of a chapter even though you don't want to you really don't want to (laughs) you have no choice when did Mike pass on he passed on Sunday the 17th of November 2013 at 5 52 p.m to be precise you really have that down so did you when did you embark on this journey of um, of overcoming your grief and moving forward in your life? How, how did that come? I know oh. you learned a lot of stuff along the way in dealing with his death, but did you yes. move on right away? Or I think you, we talked earlier oh. before we started about no. Uh, oh, no, going no. to the dark I was side. Just, yes, no, I, it took me quite a while. And so when he died, they offered me grief counselling. And I said, no, I don't need grief counselling. I can do this all by myself. (laughs) And then five months to the day of him dying, literally five months to the day, I had a complete and utter meltdown. And somebody said, oh, you need, uh, I think you need grief counselling. And I said, oh, I think that's a good idea. (laughs) So I started having grief counselling, and it was fabulous. But it, but grief counselling is, and I talked with my counsellor about this, there's no point in having grief counselling unless you want it. Otherwise, it's not going to work for you. And then when you really do need it, you've got to say no to it. So I started having grief counselling. And at the stage I was having grief counselling, I was a real mess. I'd been really sick. I'd had, I'd had shingles on my eye, which you can go blind from, which is quite serious. I'd had bursitis on my shoulder. I couldn't even move my my arm. I was just I was drinking a lot. I would just drown my sorrows. Five o'clock would come and I go, okay, it's time for a wine. And I thought, well, if I could just drink enough, I'll just pass out and hopefully I won't wake up. <laughs> so yeah. I I went through that. I was just really sick. I had no energy. I was just super depressed. Didn't want to live. And I, and I thought I'd never be happy again because I'd be disloyal. And But I kept going to the grief counselling because she was so good because I could say the most ridiculous things to her. She'd never try and tell me I was stupid or analyse me or anything. I'd just talk. So she was just fabulous. And then I told her that I, I just didn't – I couldn't get out of bed. I was just – I was just oh, – my, my highlight of my day was just not getting out of bed really. Uh, <laughs> so mm. Just stay in bed. So she said to me one day after a while, she said, will you do me – uh, just do one little thing for me. So I said to her, well, as long as it's little. <laughs> so, and we had enough of a relationship at this point that I would I would do it because she promised me it was little. So she said, when you wake up in the morning, just throw some clothes on and then just walk across the road. So I said, that's it? She said, yep, that's it. And I said, what do I do when I get across the road? And she said, you can turn around and go back to bed if you like or you can do whatever you like. Next morning, I wake up clothes on, cross the road, 
turn around, go back to bed. But I kept doing that. And then a funny thing happened. One day it was a beautiful sunny day and I'm across the road and I look up and I go, oh, this is quite a nice day. Maybe since I'm here, I might go for a little walk. <laughs> While I'm here, I'll go for a walk. And I suddenly felt happy and I went, wow. And then I'd walk and I'd see a flower and i go, wow. So I started having these happiness moments and one happiness moment led to another happiness moment, led to a happiness moment, which led me on to a journey to investigate happiness moments. And then I found out about happiness being a superpower and so on and so forth. But it was because I always say she tricked me. So it was, but she tricked me to do one little thing. If she'd said to me, Tessa, get up, go for a walk for 10 minutes, I would have gone, baby steps so that's what got me out of it and then I went on a journey and it wasn't it wasn't all just straight uphill from there on I was just going the journey of grief is like being in a a rough sea you go up down up down but what eventually happens is the ups you go up and then it's a longer period between the going downs and then you learn how to get back up again took me it took me several it took me several years I'd say Boy, I think I was slow because I think it took me about five years. And and, I, and because of what I now, with happiness as a superpower, can show people is I can speed it up for people because, you know what I mean? Like I had nobody to really guide me. Or this whole thing about happiness being a superpower, who's ever thought of that? Who knows? It? Who knew that you could learn? Happiness is a skill that you can acquire. We're not taught that. We're not, right. We don't go to school and taught about how to be how to acquire happiness as a superpower but you know with that superpower no matter what's going on around you you can put yourself up and raise your vibration because if you're not up in that state I'm evidence of it if you're really depressed and down in it and in a low vibration that's when you get sick that's where I was just you know really sick for a long time sick and mentally physically it's not a good place it's not a good um, place to be so well, neg- negativity compounds upon itself. It, it oh, it's terrible. Negativity. Yes. And you can just do little things. And I've got this now, I've got this happiness superpower gym. But And it's all about like the whole premise of it really is just doing little things because little things lead to big things to bigger things. And then after a while, it just becomes a way of life. Yeah. And it's all, and I've learned that happiness, it's about being happy in the moment. And then if, and it's being happy in yourself and happy in relationships. So it's just a question of doing little things in all those different areas and it builds on itself. And you never know, you might... No, go ahead. I'm sorry. So basically the baby steps that your therapist got you involved in actually gave you the motivation eventually to create the high vibrations roadmaps that you you kind of... Yes, yes. So it was that. Yes, precisely. It, It really gave me the... It set me off on another path, and that's when I discovered happiness is a superpower. And I thought, that's great. As long as you've got happiness as a superpower, life will be healthy, happy, enchanted. But then I realized in 2020 that it's not just happiness as a superpower is important, but you also need to consume high vibrations through your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose, your skin, because otherwise they will counteract the effect. If you're eating low vibration foods, that's going to pull you down. If you eat high vibration food, that's going to pull you up. So it's about, it's about the, the combo. I was understand visually what high vibrations would be and low vibrations. So high vibration is, is basically, it's like when you're feeling those emotions, for example, of Joy, gratitude, excitement, enthusiasm, appreciation, or all those sorts of things. Whereas that those are all kind of low vibration emotions, for example. 
are high vibration, whereas low ones are anger, judgment, sadness, you know, depression, all those kind of ones that kind of drag you down. So see, and the whole thing that's really important with vibrations is what it does to your body because when you have um, your body, you're in two, basically you're in, your body's in two states. One is what's called, you know, the survival state and one is called, well, I call it the living in the happy, healthy, enchanted life state. And your, how does your body know which state to be in? It basically goes, it picks up the vibrations to go, okay, Low vibration means, oh, my goodness, if you're angry or scared or fearful or whatever, but low vibration means, oh, my goodness, we're being under attack, we're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, we better, the body just automatically does things to survive. So what some of the things it does to survive is it turns off your health system. So it turns off your immune system, your um, growth and repair systems, your natural healing systems, they all get turned off because the body goes, oh, my goodness, we have to survive those things aren't right now a priority. So it switches all those systems off. So if you're in that low vibration state, it switches your body into survival, which is not good. If you're stuck in that for too long, it's not good for your long-term survival. Fine for short-term, but not for long-term. Whereas when you're in the high vibration, your body goes, oh, this is cool. Not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. Great, we can go on. And it will let you, it'll turn on your health systems and it will let you uh, lead a happy, healthy, enchanted life because that's what we're here to do. We're in spirit in a mm -hmm. body here to live a happy, healthy, enchanted life. But so your body will let you do that when it's in high vibration. When you're, it's in low vibration, the body goes, I need to survive. So stop doing all that ha happy, healthy, you know, enchanted life stuff. I'm just going to focus on surviving. Well, you know, unfortunately, just when somebody's been with somebody for a really long time, a lot of times, I know this from my job, a lot of times the people who have been married for a long time or been with a partner for a really long time, if that person passes on, a lot of times the other person doesn't survive past six or eight months. Precisely. Absolutely. That six months yeah. is critical. People can die of a broken heart. And I always, you know, when somebody dies, friends lose their partners or whatever I just very watchful of them for six months and I tell the people around them just be very watchful for six the first six months or so because people can die of a broken it's a known medical phenomena they can either die from a broken heart or they'll kill themselves actually right. to be blunt that low vibration area kind of sticks there and they're stuck in it oh um, it's terrible yeah, it's absolutely. terrible so absolutely what, what terrible What's an example of a high vibration food or a low vibration food? Uh, high vibration food is n anything like natural, like beautiful, natural, unprocessed fruit, unsprayed fruit, vegetables, just what's out in nature, what nature, you know, what we've been given. Definitely that's high vibration, whereas low vibration processed just think of processed fast food pro you just go to a supermarket and anything that's processed got chemicals that's just low vibration and you feel it when you eat it when you eat that sort right. of food you just feel look you know so it's just so a, a good yardstick is net it's just natural just go natural uh, and i'm lucky here in bali because i on a saturday i go to a farmer's market the farmers have you know come in with their beautiful fresh fruit and vegetables and it's just I'm just so lucky yeah. here having I all of that I, I think we need to move to Bali I, uh, <laughs> I, I can recommend look, I it won. 
100% can agree with you in regard to all of those aspects and all those principles because it's something that I think I've learned to live with on my side. It's helped me. I'm strictly organic and I'm strictly, I do whole food. Um, I'm vegan. Right. Oh, it does. It makes a huge difference, especially with managing my rheumatoid arthritis and helping me through. Oh, my, actually, gosh. it amazed my surgeon because both surgeons, because I have two different surgeons for different areas, but I healed and on the average five and a half weeks sooner than the average person. And when I left the hospital, I actually wasn't on any narcotics. Oh, you got to stay ahead of it. You got to stay ahead of it. Got to stay ahead of it. To me, that's just blocking, is masking it. Precisely. Let food be thy medicine. That's it. Let food be thy medicine. And that's just uh, huge. Yes. So mentally and and physically, as well as Mm. nutritionally, then, people should learn to change their vibration. And if they're going through what, what you went through, a loss, I think that would, even though I, I, I realize it's very difficult because I've experienced loss myself in many forms, family, friends, colleagues, it is difficult to stay in a high vibration. Oh. So oh, what it would you is. recommend? Baby steps. Well, <laughs> baby steps. But I, I've, you can talk about, but I've got this living in high vibration roadmap that people can get at lhvroadmap.com. That's lhvroadmap.com. I, I just get that because it's just, again, it's just, it just gives you a, a roadmap, like a happiness superpower roadmap. And it's just, and it's just start, it's starting. I think it's, and it's being an awareness. And when you're in the depths of grief, <laughs> the other thing is when you're in the depths of, it's hard to get yourself out. But, and so that's why it's so important just to have these little baby steps. It's, if I'm feeling really awful, I know it's just, I can just go into my, fortunately here in Bali, I can just go into my garden and just look at the flower, look at a flower, look at being, be it, be in nature, take a bit of a nature bath, just do something really little. And I think that's the thing is to get yourself to do something little and pre- preferably in nature. Uh, nature is so amazing because to me, nature is jumping up and down because it's got so much joy and happiness it can give you and it wants to give you. And it's jumping up and down, jumping up and down, going, hello, hello, I'm here. And we just, in our life, we're so busy or whatever. We just walk right past it. So it's just, it's really all available to us, but we've just, you know, get into the habit of actually being aware of it and just doing little things. If you're going through tragedy, it's just, I get taken out. I get taken out. Last year, I was three months. Here I am, the happiness superpower person, but I was just last year with what was going on in the world. For three months, I was just, I was angry. I was sad. I was depressed. I went through a really a huge roller coaster last year. Because I, because I started doing research and finding stuff out and, and finding stuff out about this, about the, the vibration of what we eat and what we, and the music we listen to, and what we watch. And I thought, I've got angry because I thought, why haven't we been told this? <laughs> you know, why haven't we told this? Why haven't we I told think, this about, do you know what I mean? I think mean? the health practitioners don't want you to know about it, to be honest. That's just my personal yes. opinion. I think, oh. the, unfortunately, the grief is a business. It, it's a business and they rely on they rely on you to be in grief because then it supports part of that business this is my own personal opinion i think that they don't allow people to grieve the way they should be allowed to grieve which means there's no time limit number one absolutely no time limit and there's no no time limit and there's no specific way of grieving either correct yes i think that yeah, it's individual. Societal rules say, it's like when you're born, now they give you 12 weeks. If you have a baby, you've got, here in America, you've got 12 weeks that you can stay home and take care of your kid. 
your hmm. baby, and you buy a new baby, you celebrate life. You can be with that child during that time period. But death, you get three days off. And you're expected to go right back to work, go right back to, you know, the same routine, the same every it's, day. It's, it's just not possible because one of the things that happens, too, with grief, well, and, and it's not just – and when we talk about grief, it's interesting because people think of grief – as as death so they associate grief just with death somebody's died therefore you're grieving and that's you know what what it is but this there's grief takes so many forms and i think personally right now just about everybody in the whole wide world is grieving because they're grieving the loss of the life that they thought of that of they what of what, what they had they're grieving all yeah. the things they took for granted they're grieving could be a, a you know job loss and people grieve the loss of a relationship People grieve the loss of a job. So there's grief. It's the same process. It's essentially the same process, mm. but there's just different types of it. And the thing is, when you're grieving, your body goes into that survival mode because literally you are, as we talked about, you, you are survival. You can die from it, and it's like a stress. And the, the other thing is the – sorry, I've just got a cat walking out. <laughs> just thinking, I'm thinking – Who's that? It's not even my cat. He, he wouldn't I, come in and say hi. <laughs> I know. I know. I have several cats wandering around this place often. So what was I answering? I've just lost track of the cat. We we're talking about track. grieving. Gr the grief takes different forms. and yeah, different Yes, areas. it takes different forms. And it takes – and it, one of the things it does, because you're in survival mode, and in survival mode, your brain function, your ability to really think just diminishes. So as far as right. you being creative and being able to think straight – and to go back into a, a and fully functioning in a job when you're in grief, that is just after three days is absolutely ridiculous, totally ridiculous. I know I was personally, I was in a fog for 12 months after my husband died. And the thing is that when you're in a, when you're in a brain fog, you don't know you're in a brain fog. Right. <laughs> so, so after 12 months, it was like pop. And I went, oh, my goodness. And I could suddenly think straight. And then that's when I realized I was in a fog. So, exactly. Yeah. I forgot to change clothes a year ago. <laughs> That's right. It's oh, okay. Now it's, and in fact, the second year of grief, and some people might not want to hear this. And by the way, when I say the second year, it was for me the second year. For somebody, it could be the second month or the second week, but for me, it was the second year. When I came out of that fog, I then went, that's when the cold, hard reality hit. Like, my husband is gone. So that's why I say, the second year for me was worse than the first because at least in the first year I had brain fog. It's just right. a bit, I was numb. Second year it was like, oh, no. So, yes. Well, so, you know what the yeah, reality, so grief. Hmm? I say with the reality of everything like that, how important is it to take the time with your loved one, to take the time to say what you want to say? Yes. You mean before they die? Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. And, and I was so fortunate with Mike because he took, he it was six weeks before he had that last seizure, and it was six weeks. And he kept saying to me, this is really interesting, he kept saying to me, Tessa, you've got to let me go, you've got to let me go. And I kept thinking to myself, he's depressed, he's just depressed. And I was arguing with the doctors about the medication because I said, you're making my husband depressed. <laughs> yeah. so he's saying he's going to die and he's not dying, he's not going anywhere and you've got to change his medication. And Mike kept saying to me, you've got to let me go, you've got to let me go. And he said, you've got to let me go because I've got a job to go to now. And I didn't, I, I just thought he's being depressed. And then what happened was, and this is a bit of a, 
um, spooky story, but I was staying at an Airbnb because I, it was 45 minutes to our house and I was in no condition after having spent all day with Mike to drive. I just couldn't drive. So I was changing Airbnbs and this particular day I moved into this Airbnb and the lady said to me on the Airbnb website, said, you can come and stay in my house. And she had, it was like a room in her house. And she said, but you've got to know that I don't like people. And so don't expect me to talk to you. So I thought, (laughs) so I thought, no, but I thought that's perfect because I don't want to talk to anybody. When your husband's dying, you really don't want to talk to strangers. (laughs) So it was perfect. So I never forget it. I walked into her place, put my bag in the room, came downstairs. And as I was walking past her in the kitchen, she said to me, would you like a cup of tea? And I went, oh, that's funny because my head's going, she said she doesn't like to talk to people. So I went, oh, okay, I'll have a cup of tea. So we sat down and we had a cup of tea and she said, uh, what's going on? I said, oh, my husband's in the hospital, blah, blah, blah. And she says to me, you have to let him go because you do realise he has a job to go to now. And I thought, this is a very weird thing to say and I've only just met you and this is bizarre. So anyway, I left her as soon as I could. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, got, out, got out of there, went to the hospital, walked in the room, and that's when, as soon as I walked in, that's when Mike said to me, Tessa, you have to let me go. I have a, got a job to go to now. So he Ooh, said the exact same words as she said. And so in that moment, I then knew, holy moly, he really is dying. So that was about four days before he actually died. So what happened was the whole conversation shifted. Because I actually knew he was dying, I absolutely knew it, as opposed to before being in total denial. And by the way, I was still smuggling those green smoothies into the hospital to give him, by the way. (laughs) Good for (laughs) you. To give him. I was giving him those green smoothies and vitamins too, until the doctors took away the vitamin tablets. I know. So I was determined. But as soon as I realized that he was really, he was dying, the whole conversation changed. So we had the most amazing conversations because I knew that he was going. And because he knew that I knew that he was going, we could talk about stuff. And we so we said a whole lot of fabulous things. And it was so, it was, I just treasure those days and the things that he said before he went. And it was so beautiful. But the other thing, Michael, is that when Mike went, all that went was that his soul left his body. So Mike is still around. Do you know what I mean? Like he's still around. So I've had so, so many signs from him. After he left, so many signs that you could say, oh, one or two is a coincidence, but I've got so, so many. So although Mike I physically is not here, he's still around. So I can still have conversations with him. So, yes, I had a lot of conversations with him, thankfully, you know, mm. with his bo- when he was with his body. <laughs> and we had those things. Because, thankful to that lady in the Airbnb. But I also can keep having those conversations. I think that's amazing that you had a message given to you two times away from him, that he said the exact same thing. Yes, yes. That's, 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 I, you know, I, <clears throat> sorry, Michael, I have never realized that before. It was two unique. times. Yeah, yeah. very unique. That's cool. Uh, he was often, <clears throat> there's a couple of other incidences, <clears throat> when he was floating, before he died, he was floating out of his body and could tell me what I'd been doing. So <clears throat> the dying process is, in fact, it's not just the dying process. <clears throat> we as human beings are so powerful. And that's one of the things I'm passionate about is that <clears throat> we are so much more powerful than we led to believe. 
we can do so much more than we're led to believe. And that's why, for me, it's when you're living in high vibration, that's when you have access to these superpowers, basically. Yeah. And yes. Speaking of high vibration, let's talk about how somebody can guide you and get in touch with you in regard to your unique living in high vibration opportunities. Great. If they go to my website, that's tessastowe.com. So that's my name, Tessa, T-E-S-A-S-T-O-W-E.com. And there you can find the Living in High Vibration Roadmap, which I highly recommend that you download. It's got a couple of roadmaps there, and it's also got a couple of videos which explain the roadmaps in more detail. So that's at tessastowe.com. Or you can send me a an email at uh, hi at tessastow.com. That's outstanding. And I'll make sure I have all of those things in the show notes as well for easy access for people to get in touch oh, with you. Thank you. To this. Listen, I want to thank you very much for uh, sharing your journey with uh, us today. I really appreciate and I'm really happy that you connected with me, that we have made this across the world, basically. I think from where you're at, Bali, from where you're at, from where I'm at, being in the future. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You got to re- you got to remember, if you hear anything special, you got to drop me a note. But thank I you will. very much. I really appreciate you being with me today and, and sharing what you what you have. And thank you. Oh, it's been fabulous. Thank you so much. So I want to thank everybody for joining us on this conversation. We will see you on one more thing before you go. Don't forget, we are on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and all of your favorite listening programs. Please support us and subscribe. It's free. Watch for our unique apps that are coming out soon on iOS and on Google Play very soon. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established in 2010. All rights reserved.